What's up, Fifth and Long fans? Welcome back to the show. Got a good one for you today, talking some college hoops, a little bit of NBA as well. Uh, this episode's releasing a little bit later than we would have liked to. Paul and I, we work full-time jobs as well, so a little bit of a busy weekend here. But awesome hoop slate for you all this week on the college and NBA side. And we got some exciting stuff for you all on the way coming this week and next as well. Um, we hope you enjoy the show. Stay tuned to us on the socials, Fifth and Long on Twitter, Fifth and Long Pod on Instagram, and YouTube. Without further ado, here's today's episode. Thank you and enjoy. <laughs> Dude, we've already been. <laughs> What's up, Paul? What's up, man? <laughs> oh, shoot. We're already recording, man. You caught me off guard. Dude, we're all right. What's up, man? How are you? <laughs> ah, man, I'm doing fine. It's it's good to be back back in the lab here, so to speak. Back talking in the lab. some hoops. Yeah, what else would you call it? I guess this is technically the lab. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll take yeah. it. There was a there there was a pretty crazy hoops weekend this weekend. Not like, I mean, we had UConn Creighton midweek as an upset, but that wasn't this weekend. That was pretty cool. And then Creighton follows that up losing to St. John's today, who just had like the nature of the game, man. Yes, St. John's had like the whole mob in attendance including tommy devito's agent and the sopranos cast members and stuff or was it just the one guy uh the only one that i saw via the tweet that you sent was uh the guy who played i forget the actor's name but the guy who plays bobby bacala from from the sopranos and then obviously rick patino's uh an italian himself and and devito's agent who i guess you were right i guess that's not not a facade i guess that's exactly just how he dresses whenever he's out in public because he was in the same getup that he was when he was standing next to devito on the field back during football season yeah man that's just his authentic like everyday wear um okay so we got to start with the court storming stuff right yeah, unfortunately, um, that's what everybody's talking about right now. Uh, it's it's unfortunate because I thought it overshadowed what was like an awesome game between Wake Forest and Duke, and what was John Shire said that too. He was way. like, yeah. I, "I don't want this to take over from the game that Wake played because they were fantastic in this." Yeah, and they needed it too. Like we talked about them, how we thought that they were on the outside looking in of the bubble last week, and this was their this was their signature win, man. This is the win I think that is going to potentially, unless they kind of collapse in the final games of their regular season and the ACC tournament. I think that this is the game that's going to propel them in to the NCAA tournament. But yeah, we unfortunately have to talk about the court storming because because of what happened. Uh, I have a pretty firm stance on this, but what's your, what's your take on the matter after everything that transpired and watching the replay of it? I think it's a two-sided coin, okay? I'm not necessarily against court storming, but I think that there needs to be ways for it to be safer because if you go back and look at it, first of all, let me tell you about my experience. My most recent court storming experience. I wasn't a part of the court storming, but when I was at that game between South Carolina and Kentucky earlier in the year in colonial life arena, this, the Gamecock fans, the students there stormed the court with about four seconds left, right? This isn't like the buzzer beater sounds. Everybody rushes in. The players have a little bit of time, like maybe a fraction of a second to rush off the floor. Mm -hmm. These guys are just storming the court while the game is still being played. Same thing with Duke and uh, Wake Forest, actually. As soon as that pass is intercepted with about one second left on the clock, you can stop the frame with like 0.6 seconds. And there's already about two dozen students on the court. Filipowski is like not even aware of them being there yet because again the buzzer hasn't sounded nothing like that right there's no like audio cue for his reactions to pick up unless he's 
looking in that direction, which he wasn't because he was looking the opposite direction to try and catch the pass. So he literally, people are saying he tripped the Wake Forest kid. I think he was trying to protect himself and didn't have any time to move out of the fucking way. Like I'm okay with court storming in general. I think it's sort of an integral part of college sports. Like some of my favorite moments of college sports are court storming in football and in basketball. I think about um, the kick six iron bowl between Bama and Auburn and the students storming the field after that and how awesome that was. Clemson does it every freaking week and they make a sham out of it so they can suck on it. But otherwise, <laughs> like I, I think there needs to be <laughs> like, you got to at least pretend like there's security. here. There's fucking nobody on the sidelines. Nobody. Kyle Filipowski's Duke's leading scorer and rebounder. Like they're still going to be a good team. They still have a lot of talent on their team, but who knows how serious the injury is? Who knows? Like, if he's going to be able to play before the regular season ends or even come conference tournament time or whatever, it's a huge difference for Duke seating wise. If they win the regular season ACC title or win the tournament uh, ACC tournament versus if they don't. So, I mean, we saw Caitlin Clark get run over uh, by an Ohio state fan. We saw an incident happen with um, uh, David Jones from Memphis when uh, Tulane beat them earlier in the year as well. Um, But on the flip side, like other people have, spoken to how it's all right. Like Zach Eady of Purdue has even been like, I I mean, there's risks to it, but I think it's a reason for fans to go to games at the same time. So like I said, it's a two-sided coin. I'm generally for it, but I also think that there is, there needs to be something done to make it um, either harder to do or like give more incentive not to do it for fans besides the universities paying fines. You know, especially if people actually get hurt, like that's sort of when I began to question it. And um, even like Wake Forest head coach and their athletic director both put out statements at the press conference and after the game officially, like essentially expressing regret or that they wanted to be a part of conversations to change things. So even the 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 officials of the school that won the game and stormed the court is feeling pretty shitty about this situation. So a lot to unravel there with, with what you said. I agree with a large portion of it. Some of it, I, I don't quite see eye to eye. Um, I, I, I want court stormings to stay. I, I think that you're right. It's like, a, it's like an integral part of the college basketball fan experience. You're only in college for what, four years. Some of us out there took us five years to graduate is what it is, but you're only in college for a short amount of time. And it's, it can be a legendary experience, not just for the fans, but also for the players to share that. And, and I don't want to see that be taken away from a school like Wake Forest and their fans who have been toiling and fighting to just potentially get in the NCAA tournament all year. And they finally get their signature win, you know, this late in the season. Uh, I'm, I'm all for expressing that emotion in terms of, of a core storm. It's interesting that you mentioned the South Carolina court storm against Kentucky because I actually went back and I watched that one because that was, in my mind, the first thing that popped into my head of where I've seen this before this season. And what I thought that South Carolina and their security did great in that game was it seemed to me watching the replay of it and from my just natural memory that they funneled all of the students who were coming onto the court from like opposite corners of, of the court. And so it's like most of them were coming on from, I think, the near side of the camera and I thought that that created an easier lane for, for everybody to get off safely. But the one difference in that one was that was a blowout game and they had already gotten the Kentucky players off the court, you know, eight, 10 seconds 
before the final buzzer. So it's a little bit of a different story here compared to this Wake Forest Duke game where it's a four point game. And like, yeah, you know, Wake's probably going to win it with just 1.5 or two seconds left when they threw that final inbound. But whereas looking back on it, I was in the building and they're building security up the last couple of minutes of the game, like Mm -hmm. assuming an impending court storming. So in that sense, there's more time to prepare. There's more time. There was more time to prepare based on how the game played out between South Carolina and Kentucky. But with that being said, I did think that they did a much better job of funneling everybody through a distinct area on the court. And that's what I think needs to happen is like, you're right. Everybody kind of came on from that, that far side of the of end of the court in Wake Forest. And there was no dude, he got like, Lion King. It was yeah. like I te- texted you. <laughs> it was, it was you. like the, you, you texted me that is it, it was like he was Mufasa and they were all the wildebeests. <laughs> in terms of Filipowski himself, though, um oh, man. I will say this about him. Okay. He did not exactly try to get off the court quickly. Like he was walking pretty slow. He didn't slowly. have time. He didn't I, have time. Why was why was he the only one caught up in the, the mess? The pass then, was man? intercepted eight tenths of a second before kids were on the court. I, I I get that. I'm just saying he didn't exactly try to you know hustle you think, off the court. Do you think it, that's not fair at all? There there's no chance that the first thought that an athlete's head should be like in still in the middle of the game should be as soon like if we if we don't get this, the, I got to think right about right away about how I'm going to get safety. That shouldn't I, be in the players' I, heads. I, honestly, I think it should be in that sense. He know he knows they're storming the court as soon as soon as they lose. He knows he's they're storming the court. You know, I mean, like, yeah, but that like I, I as a competitor, thinking, you're still thinking maybe you can intercept like intercept the pass or get the pass like shoot a three, get fouled, something crazy happens. They're down. Right? They're down four as well too. It'd be a different story if it were down three. Like that's you know the game's pretty much already over at that point. I think that you have to understand that that's coming. I'm not, I'm not, I know it sounds like it. I'm not like blaming him, but I just noticed it. it he kind of took a sweet old time getting off the court. Now I <laughs> wanted to say, I wanted to say here one thing about as well about the actual fan who, who collided with him. I do not think there was any sort of malicious intent or he was trying to, to injure or harm Filipowski at all. What I saw when I watched this replay is he turns to face Filipowski face to face as he's running by him. And so therefore his head is, and his eyes are not focused on what's in front of him anymore. And I think that that's why he didn't see Filipowski's leg extending um, and, and ultimately tripped over and caused a sprained ankle or knee or whatever it was. Uh, I think what he was trying to do is he was either trying to catch something on camera, like show to social media in the world that he was running right past Filipowski and catch his reaction on you know for social media and ig twitter whatever it may be either that or he's yelling some sort of expletive at him but i don't think that there was any sort of malicious intent there um look when when it comes to the core stories and everything like that i hate how people are they're rushing to just say the words let's ban it ban it ban it because this was a a, a somewhat bad experience i it is it is unfortunate filipowski's out for any sort of extended period of time because he is so integral to duke but I hate when we let one like bad experience just completely wipe out any other school's ability to do this. And do you think well, it's not just one bad experience? There was the Caitlin Clark thing earlier this year. She's just, a, like super mega that was star. A flop. Girls that, that was a flop, dude. She, she Caitlin, did, I don't think she just got ran into. Like go back, go back and watch that video. She flails her arms up in the air and turns around. Caitlin that's Clark. what happens when you get hit. <laughs> watch rewatch the video and tell me. I saw you, it earlier. I saw it earlier. I watched it. Caitlin, at, I I don't even dislike Caitlin Clark, but she flopped when she collided with that with that fan. All right, you you said malicious intent earlier. Let me let me show you this. Right. All right. This is this is the the ace from the ACC Network's feed of the game. Okay. So this is the first guy you're talking about here, right? Yeah. That's Filipowski. 
frame by frame. I don't want to hear the commentators frame by frame. Right. Okay. This, so this isn't the guy I'm thinking of. Yes. He turns kind of as he's running by him. Yeah. Raises so he's turning his, as he's, and, and then he doesn't see Filipowski's leg extending out in front of him. Yeah. Sort of like run into each, like both try to take a swing at each other. Honestly, like you can see the kids. I think, hands honestly, Filipowski's extending his forearm more than anybody else. What else is he supposed to do? Is he supposed to like spin move like Reggie Bush style around this guy and go over here? The guy is the, the kid better I'm, athlete, isn't he? <laughs> the kid I'm looking at is the kid behind him. Look at this guy. Like just pat on the back. <laughs> and then he gets like, Mufasa and and then there's like nothing he can do you see this trainer like come in and try to save him after that so I don't know man like kind of like what you said I I love court storming as like a core college sports thing but it's like what John Shire said how many more times is this going to happen before something is done so in my mind even though I'm for it continuing I do think that eventually it will be banned. I just don't think it will be immediately after this incident, but I think yeah. it will probably happen eventually. Yeah. I, I, well, that I can agree with. I think, you know, as, as the years goes on, I, I think that they'll eventually ban it just because I don't know, sports, sports is getting softer, but um, do you think it, anything and any of this buzz around banning it uh, has to do with just the pure fact that it was Duke caught up in the mix? You know, if you think about it, Duke and a guy like John Shire, who played there as well, he's been an assistant. Now he's the head coach. Like Duke never gets to experience the court stormings themselves. They're always the one that get the court stormed against them, you know, because they're never playing the underdog role. And do you think just the pure fact that it's it's a national brand like Duke has any sort of effect or bearing on these analysts and, and people around the country now saying that we should we should ban this practice? I think it helps to drive the narrative, but I think like it's not just Duke. Like if this happened to a Kentucky, if this happened to, uh, to a Houston, like it helps that, um, Filipowski is also a guy who's like an all American. Right. Right. He's a guy who's yeah. actually like looked at as a pretty good NBA prospect as well. Um, whereas not all these other blue blood schools like have that, but, I think you make an interesting point there. I think that, it, like I said, it does help to drive the narrative a little bit. But I think also if you had seen this happen with another contender, like if it had happened with Caleb Love at Arizona, people probably mm -hmm. would have reacted pretty similarly. If it had happened with Tyler Kolek at Marquette, people probably would have reacted pretty similarly. Like I don't think it's just a Filipowski-Duke thing. I think it's just a star player, good team thing, you know? Fair enough. Fair enough. I just – it's – I don't know. Duke, the, the one thing that Wake Forest can probably say with their program, you know, th this is something that a court storming, for example, is something that a Wake Forest basketball program can experience that a uh, program. Yeah, like this Duke was probably really their can. biggest home win in how many yeah. years? Like, it's so awesome, actually. Yeah. And it's like, there's you can't blame them for doing that, but there's got to be a way to get guys off of the floor before it happens. Yeah. I I mean, yeah, I think that security needs to beef up and they need to do a better job and they didn't do their job in this instance, but I hate the fact that that's the case being a reason to take away something from a school like Wake Forest that they can experience that like granted do can't, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just hate, I, I would hate to take that away from schools like Wake Forest schools like our, our team in South Carolina that got to experience this earlier this year, but um, I think we're we're kind of by and large looking at it the same way. I'd like to keep it. Um, I don't think that they're going to go ahead and ban it anytime in the immediate future, but I think down the road we'll we'll see it. 
how about Wake's home environment though? They're 15 and 0. Oh, that's at home crazy, now. man. Like we talked about, we teased about this a little bit, and you were saying, like, I don't know if that's necessarily an advantage in their case coming down the tournament stretch run. Well, it is if you win those games. Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, <laughs> like, man, that was that was really, really, really great game on their part. Hunter Salas, Andrew Carr, even um Kevin Miller, uh sophomore, six, six foot. Uh, guard out of Chicago. This kid's got crazy range. He made back-to-back threes on a stretch in the first half. And the second one, he was like calling for the ball all the way up the court and shot it from about 30 feet. Like it, it wasn't an easy three by any means. Um, they had a great energy in this game. They definitely deserved the win by and large. Yeah, man. That, I mean, that place was loud. I mean, they were hitting shots. I think you had here that they shot over 69% in the second half. Like that crowd was erupting every time. And I personally hadn't had an opportunity to see Hunter Salas play yet this year, or like play in depth or see anything he's other than good. highlights. And he's pretty damn good, man. You dropped 29 in a big time game against Duke. Yeah. Uh, he shot 11 of 13 from the field, five of six threes. He only had two free throws. Like these were all, this was a shot making display. This guy, this guy was awesome. In this I, game. I, I could be wrong though, but didn't he hit the two free throws to seal it? Like when they were up 81 79 and yeah, that's, fouled. those were the two yeah. free throws. Yeah. So there you go. He's got ice in the veins as well. Um, saves his Thanks. best game for, I thought it was him. I could be wrong, but you know, save your best game in the, in the most important setting. Yeah. It was Dallas. It was Dallas. So yeah, absolutely, man. I mean that what, what I was saying about, I don't know if it's going to help them in terms of the committee is like, I don't know if, the committee is going to like maybe undervalue some of the wins they have at home, just because it's obviously tougher to go win on the road in college basketball. And because you'll have to win neutral site games come NCAA tournament time, but you're hundred percent right, man, when it's this big of an advantage for them that they can neutralize a team like Duke, like they did and shoot this well offensively against uh, a top rated team like the blue devils, man, that's impressive. And and I, uh, I got to take back some of the words I said last week where I didn't think that this team belonged in that like first four out discussion. I think I've moved them all the way onto the good side of the bubble after this one. We'll, we'll talk about that maybe a little bit more uh, on a, and maybe a team on the rise segment sort of come, but great well, week for them also. No, let's do it. I mean, they've got, okay. they've got Notre Dame, Virginia tech on the road in their next two games. Then they finish with Georgia tech and Clemson. Those are the last four games of the season. Clemson, I think would be a quad one win, right? Yeah, if they were able to win that game, like they're, a, they're projected a as game. a four seed right now. Yeah. So here's the way I look at them. Um, and and we'll make them the uh, the official team on the rise because they've earned it. And it wasn't just this game against Duke. They beat Pitt, who was also a, a bubble team fighting they, for an NCAA they tournament. They blew them out. They Destroyed beat them by him. like 33. I know. Destroyed them. Destroyed them. And, um, and that was another game at home as well. So they looked great. Their net rankings are really good. I think that they're top 20 and top 30 in either net yep. and Kempom or, or have that flipped. So that their analytics are, are phenomenal as well. And the committee is going to look at that in terms of potentially placing them in the field as well. You mentioned Notre Dame. I'm uh, pretty sure that game's on the road. You cannot have a letdown game there. Okay. You yeah, got to find 10, a way to win that game. 17. They're not yeah. a great team this year. You lose that game. It's going to basically erase what, what you just did here against Duke. Um, the Virginia tech game. Is that also on the road? I'm pretty sure it is. Yep. Okay. So that that's going to be tough because Virginia tech though, they're not a tournament team right now. They're not bad. I, they're they're not bad they have hung around with some good teams they beat south carolina earlier in the year no i thought we, we beat no them. no we beat them yeah, 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 yeah. you're yeah, right yeah. my apologies my apologies they beat clemson earlier in the year there you go uh, they also beat uh florida state virginia like they've beaten a couple decent teams so here's the way i look at it with them if wake forest drops a game to virginia tech 
that is not going to like eliminate them. But what I think it'll force them to do is they'll either, if they lose that game to Virginia Tech, they will have to do either one of two things, make a little bit of a run in the ACC tournament, or at least like beat somebody in the ACC tournament that they're not supposed to, or win that game at Clemson at the end of the year. Now, if they just run the table and lose that game at Clemson, I think that, that would make them finish three and one the rest of the way. That put them at like 21 and 10. As long as they don't lay an egg in the ACC tournament, you factor in this win against Duke. I think that that's enough to get them in the okay. tournament field. That That's how I look at, so, at the rest of their season. So you say they have to finish three and one, essentially. I, I think so. I, I think that you finish three and one. I think that you're looking pretty good. If they go two and two, that's where it starts to get dicey because that means that they definitely lost to somebody who's uh, much further down than them in the rankings and a team that's on the outside of the tournament field. That's not going to look too good. I mean, what's the difference between them and a team like Gonzaga, who we also had on the bubble last week? Like, not, would you not say a whole that a lot? I mean, I think strength of schedule is better, but their analytics are, are, are pretty similar, but that's a team who they're, they're fighting with there. If you had to pick one or the other, I mean, Gonzaga has the win against Kentucky mm-hmm. on the road, which now looking back on it, how Kentucky yeah, that, smoked Bama, that that, that's really looking good. even better. Yeah, but that's really their best chance. And Kentucky was only 17th in the country at the time, whereas Duke was a top 10 team. So maybe things get looked at. I, I don't know. I, I feel like Wake's win against Duke is a little bit. No, I mean, Gonzaga beat Kentucky on the road, though. So you also have to yeah. factor that in. I don't know. It's split, splitting hairs. Would you? Who would you pick between the two? I'd probably give a slight lean to Wake just because I think that they are in the tougher conference. Uh, there's more night in, night out competition in the ACC, even though the ACC is like having kind of a down year outside of St. Mary's. And that maybe if you want to stretch it to like Santa Clara or somebody like that in the West Coast Conference, there's you don't have to face those grueling tasks night in and night out for Gonzaga. Whereas in Wake, like, you know, Pitt is still a competitive team that's fighting for a tournament spot that Wake beat earlier. You know, they have to face Clemson as well. I just think that there's more competition, you know, week to week that a team in the ACC will have to face. And I'd rather reward them for that than a team like Gonzaga. So that's where, with everything else being equal between those two teams, which at this point right now, based on like their quad one record, their quality of, of best win and their analytics, all of it's pretty comparable between those teams. I'd give a slight edge to Wake. All right, we, we sort of teased Kentucky-Bama there a little bit too. Yeah. Um, going into this game, right, uh, I think I saw some stat where it had the highest over from Vegas by like – it's the highest over-under in college basketball since two, 2019. The over-under was 179.5. And they absolutely blew that through the room. (laughs) 117 to 95 final score. So you could have bet an over at what, like 210, 211, something like that? Adjusted line, dude. Yeah, that would have given you a nice little payout. Oh my gosh. Why didn't, why weren't we on this? Why were we on this? We could have been funding fifth and long uh, friggin' vacation trips to, to Bora Bora or something. I don't know, man. And uh, Alabama's the number one uh, rated offense in terms of adjusted efficiency, according to Ken Palm. So, yeah, we really should have seen it coming. This is uh, crazy. Dude, I I really haven't seen any team shoot as well as Kentucky has this year. Like uh, some of these stats are ridiculous. They shot 63% from the field, over 50% from three, and made 22 of their 26 free throw attempts. So they got to the line a lot as well. Uh, like, the thing that I took away from Kentucky in, in all of this – 
And Alabama is not a great defensive team. It is certainly their biggest weakness. So it wasn't like they had the toughest task um, in terms of the, the defense that they were facing Kentucky. But I took away from this that Kentucky's best can hang with anybody in the country. They just haven't shown it consistently enough throughout the year. Like it was a great win last week against Auburn. We talked about that, but sandwiched in between that win against Auburn and this one against Alabama, they have a loss to LSU. Okay. A a team that's not going to go to the NCAA tournament. I don't know if they can consistently put together six straight good games or good enough games to win an NCAA tournament and make a deep run. But I do know that when they play their best basketball, they can hang with any team in the country and not every team can say that. So very impressive win for Kentucky. I think that they still got to work on that consistency and they're not going to shoot this well night in and night out, but they, they played some damn good basketball over the past couple of weeks, even with the LSU loss. Well, you remember our conversation about them last week. It was that it sort of seems like Cal coach Cal has maybe just started figuring things out, like who his best guys really are. And he's trying to find ways to, work them more onto the court. He made a last second decision in this game to start Zvonavir Ivicic going into the game. It was just a late switch. Like he just woke up and felt like doing it. His staffers were like, ah, I don't know. And then he just did it anyways. And uh, he was pretty good in this 18 game. 18 points. 18 points. Yeah, he was He was a big defensive force for them. His nickname uh, to the UK faithful, I believe, is Big Z, if I'm not mistaken. Sounds about right. <laughs> they went at one point in the second half. They entered a lineup of Rob Dillingham, Justin Edwards, Antonio Reeves, Reed Shepard, and Big Z. And then over the next six minutes, they outscored Bama 27 to nine over a six minute stretch. They doubled their lead in like three minutes. Like they just went absolutely, um, you know, um, what was that? Uh, not NBA street, but um, the other like NBA sort of arcade game where um, you could like catch fire and that sort of thing. It's terrible. Um, I don't remember the name of it. Oh, uh, blacktop or I'm not a big video games, video game savant. All right. Never mind. I don't know never exactly mind. what you're talking about, but I'll edit that out. But anyways, <laughs> or leave it. Cause they'll find it funny. <laughs> Kentucky goes absolutely God mode. Basically like just lights the rim on fire shooting from from deep and and Dillingham Edwards Reeves Shepard and Big Z like I was talking about those guys were a huge part of it um you know what the other crazy thing sorry to interrupt you here about that that stretch you said 27 points for Kentucky or 27 to 9 in a six minute stretch they're averaging over four points a minute during that stretch that is ridiculous that is ridiculous dude like you're you're lucky to get two possessions in a minute in college basketball just based on the the shot clock and everything now these teams play a little bit quicker and they're scoring at a higher pace. So that probably played into it, but still averaging over four points a minute for a six minute stretch is ridiculous. It's unbelievable. It's, it was pretty absurd. Um, Just seeing their ability to shoot the ball and create shots, but also play in transition is terrifying. And remember last week, we're also saying that like, it felt like they could, they could beat anybody, but also lose to any given team, depending exactly. on the night too, how, depending mm-hmm. on how they played. Um, their defense is really not that great. Neither of these teams' defenses are good, no. obviously. No. But um, six of Kentucky's eight losses this year have been in which they've given up 80 or more points in the game, which isn't great <laughs> in the landscape of college basketball, giving up that many points. Um, 
I still, I, I feel like they're putting it together right now though, man. Like I'm scared of them come the sec tournament. I'd be terrified to play them in the NCAA tournament too, especially oh, yeah. if they keep giving Dillingham more minutes too. Like that kid is special, man. He's so freaking good. Yeah, dude. I, I agree that this, this isn't a team. This is certainly somebody that if they're in your quadrant or your section of the bracket and you're a higher seated team, like you don't, you don't want to have to see them or you hope that maybe somebody pulls off an upset before you have to get there. Uh, for me, the biggest concern is their, is their defense. Uh, they're 76th right now in Ken Palm in terms of adjusted defensive efficiency. And that number needs to get better. Uh, but you're right. Like they have, they have the guard play to do it right now. They have a guard play to make a deep run. Reeves, Edwards, Wagner, Dillingham, all those guys are contributors and they had double digits in this game. Uh, it You should take solace if you're a Kentucky fan that because they are that deep at the, at the guard position that, you know, somebody can have an off night and, and you could still be fine. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm scared of them. I, I think previously, you know, earlier in the year, maybe a couple of weeks ago, I thought that their ceiling was maybe sweet 16. Now, I mean, now I have to reevaluate and say, if they play like this and things break their way, I mean, maybe we are talking about a final four caliber team. I don't know. <laughs> did I, did you see the stat that I had uh, where the only player who's averaged more points under coach Cal in a season was Jamal Murray. Than uh, Antonio Reeves. Really? No, I yeah. hadn't seen that stat. The 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 it goes Jamal Murray at one, Antonio Reeves too. Wow, shows the company that he's in, man. What's his NBA? Does he have any NBA draft prospects? I don't really know. I'm okay. not sure. I mean, he's he's a senior, so usually you don't see quite yeah. as much stock with those older guys. But he's he's not trailing Murray by much. Murray averaged 20 points a game. Reeves average is currently averaging 19.9. So he's literally gotcha. like. I don't know. He's right a couple there. buckets away from from becoming the new uh, the new points per game leader, I guess, in, in UK under history under Coach Cal. Which is that's pretty crazy to think about, considering how many guys have been there. You think about it, like yeah, AD John Wall, Jamal Murray, yeah. uh, Devin Anthony Booker. Dance. Yeah, like holy shit! I'm thinking about that. That's crazy. Somebody's got to give him a look. Then we'll see. Yeah, I'm not the biggest NBA scout and, and prospect guru guy, but um, yeah, somebody who's having as good of a season as his, maybe he can turn some heads. Did you see any of Nate Oates's um, press conference quotes after the game? Just how dejected I, he I did was? Not. No, lay it on. Give, give me one for example. I did not. I did not tune into his press. I, conference. I would have to go back and, and look at him. I don't have anything on hand right now, and I, I don't want to misquote him. But he <laughs> he was not happy. He was not happy at all. That's a fiery guy, and like. Oh yeah. I'm I'm sure you could imagine what his reactions were like. I mean, you're just not going to, that's not a sustainable way to play basketball when you, when you play that poor defense as they do. And uh, they were lucky to escape Florida earlier in the week. It took them overtime on their home court as well. They easily could have been Oh, and two here uh, during the week. If there's, you know, their best, they, they can hang with a lot of teams as well. Um, but it's it's all offense for them. I, I mentioned they're the top rated team in efficiency according to Ken Palm, but it's not going to do you that much good if you can't stop anybody on the other end because you're going to have a cold shooting night some point along your NCAA tournament run, and it'll end their season if they can't play defense. Yeah, I mean, you scored 95 points. Usually, you're gonna you're gonna win nine out, nine out of yeah. ten games that you play yeah. scoring that. And I guess this was the tenth game. It's pretty crazy. Um, what what are your official SEC rankings now? If you had to rank those top four or five teams, oh man! All right, so I'm bumping Bama down. I just haven't been super impressed. 
I guess I'll give Tennessee a slight edge. Um, and then maybe the way Kentucky's playing, go Tennessee, Kentucky, Auburn. Oh, go like one, two, okay. three there. Okay. I think I think I'd put those as my top three. Um, Bama would still have to be above South Carolina, but then I'd probably go Bama, South Carolina after that. That's my top five. All right. All right. I gotcha. Huh. Yeah. And I, I guess you just look at the head to heads, like what yeah. Kentucky beat Auburn not too long ago, right? Long Tennessee ago, right? beat Kentucky earlier on, on Kentucky's home court. Kentucky's beat Bama. Auburn's beat Bama. Bama beat South Carolina. Yeah. How about, <laughs> how about Baylor Houston though? Cause this was like, I said that Kentucky Bama was my favorite matchup going into the weekend, but I think you had this one as your favorite, right? Sure did. And uh, it lived up to the hype for sure. I thought that this was the best game, most entertaining of the whole slate of Saturday in college basketball. You have Houston, who's up by 17, I think as much as 17 at one point during this game. They jump out to a big lead in the first half and Baylor comes storming back. Phenomenal guard play all around. Uh, three guys were in double digits for the Houston Cougars, uh, or maybe not, they weren't in double digits in this game, but uh, three guards averaged double digits and, and sharp shed and crier for them. Uh, I just come away so impressed with Houston to blow a 17 point lead. You were they right the to, first time, by the way, they all had double digit points. Oh, they did. Okay. Um, to blow a, a 17 point lead on the road, have to go to overtime after you thought you won it because Jamal Shedd looked like he had hit the game winner. And then they over uh, overturned the play. That was crazy. Turned the shot on replay. And so now you got to go play five more minutes and they come out and they are still the better team in overtime. And they find a way to get this win in conference on the road. I'm just so impressed with Houston. I thought Baylor gave everything they possibly could in this one. They've had some really close losses throughout the year, um, but the better teams find a way to win in crunch time. And Houston was able to do that. Well-coached, Kelvin Sampson, one of the best coaches in college basketball. Uh, to me, I, I think that this game should be more about Houston and and their grit and determination than, than it is about Baylor losing it. But those are my biggest takeaways from this one. Kelvin Sampson, if if Houston can win the Big 12 regular season title, it'll be his second uh, conference title as a head coach. His first since Oklahoma in 2005, way back wow. when. Pretty cool. That was nearly 20 yeah. years ago. You think about that. Um <clears throat> Something I just thought it, that was interesting from – I watched a good bit of this game, but I remember thinking during the game, like, these are a lot of the same guys out here for for the most part. Houston mixed up their rotation a little bit more than Baylor, but we had uh, seven different guys in this game play 40-plus minutes. That's, like, that's playoff minutes right there in, oh, yeah. at, like, the NBA level. Like, these guys are working. And you mentioned Jamal Shedd. He didn't have really a great game. He was only mm -hmm. one of 10, I think, from the floor in the second half. But he had 10 assists alone in the second half. He finished with um, 10 assists in the game, 5 of 17 from the field. Um, only 12 points to his credit. But his ability to move the ball around from the top of the key and, and help find ways to exploit the zone defense of Baylor in this game were, were critical. Like the way Houston shares the ball and can either pick apart yep. the zone through like penetrative passes or by just penetrating, like trying to drive through it and like finding the right spot to put up a shot. Mm -hmm. um, you could see their efficiency offensively through that. And a lot of it had to do with shed. Some of it had to do with LJ Cryer as well, who was actually yep. making his return to Baylor. The, the Cryer revenge game. Yes, sir. Yeah. He played for Baylor the last three years yep. and now comes back into his old home building, beats ba beats the Bears, um, and Houston's one game closer to a Big 12 title. 
are they they've got to be your number one team now right after after UConn went down in midweek yeah I mean not to tease that segment too much but it's not just this game for me although this one was so impressive given the fact that Baylor's a top 25 team and you go on the road and beat them but let's not forget when we were recording last week it was right in the middle of that game against Iowa State and although it was a home game Iowa State was a top 10 team I think as high as number six in the AP polls. So Houston's got two ranked wins that they added to their resume, two quad one wins this week. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, you consider how UConn lost to Creighton earlier in the week and, and the margin of loss in that one. Houston's my number one team, Ken Palm and the net rankings will back it up. They are the number one team in rated efficiency. They're number one team in the net. Uh, it's, it's team doesn't really have a weakness. Uh, if, if there is anything, I mean, I, they don't, I don't think that they can really play from behind that well. I don't know if they, they have like the tools to do that. We saw, you know, Kansas got out to them on a, a pretty much right from the get-go in that game a couple weeks back, and they couldn't really respond to come back. And you're right, a lot of guys, they don't, they're not maybe the deepest team, but, and that could hurt you, you know, with the wear and tear as we come late in March. But I trust a guy like Kelvin Sampson to move the pieces in and around and, and do it strategically. And I love a team that's got good guard play, man. When they, when they got three legit guards and shed Cryer and sharp, that is the recipe for a team that can win a national championship. Absolutely. Um, something I thought was really, was really interesting is 12 of their first 15 points were in the paint in this game. Like you go on the road, hostile environment rival in your conference, right? That's how you set the tone. Yeah. Right. took a big lead from there. They had a 16, 17 point lead, whatever it was going into the half. Um, obviously Baylor fought their way back, but I think if this was a neutral game, they probably win this game by like a dozen in regulation instead of an overtime. Potentially. Yeah. Uh, so want, I, go, yeah ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. You finish your point. No, I'm, I'm glad that you cut in. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was just going to say, I agree that this, if this is a neutral site game, they probably win it more comfortably where Baylor isn't able to pull all the way back in at the end of the game. But uh, just speaking to their, their presence down low and their ability to score points in the paint, I love uh, Juwan Roberts when he plays. I think that the dude's super scrappy. Almost ha almost had a double-double in this one. 17 points, eight rebounds. Uh, he'll be huge for them if they make a deep run in March because he's got to be that that down-low presence for them. Uh, phenomenal. I've seen him play a couple times now this season, and I I come away impressed every time. Uh, big reason why Houston's able to grab some offensive boards as well. They're a great rebounding team. I think we mentioned that couple weeks back when we did our intro to college basketball segment. So I think he's a guy that we got to give a shout as well. And they'll need him to play his best basketball in March. The only thing that concerns me for Houston and you mentioned uh, Roberts, they don't really have a lot of size on their team. Yeah. Like, they don't have a true center at, at the very least, you know? Yeah. So that's the only thing that concerns me is like, if you go against a team like a, like a Purdue, who's got Zach Eddy in the middle, how are you going to be able to combat that defensively? Or yeah. even like, like Filipowski, if he gets yeah, healthy. Yeah, Filipowski, true. He's you seven know? feet, yep. Yeah, like that's the only thing that concerns me with them down a stretch. And it's not like a, um, it's not something that makes me vault them off my top four or anything like that. It's just the one thing I would worry about if come tournament time, they end up with a matchup like that. Yeah. I think, I think for me, and, and it's a fair concern. I think for me, though, when it comes to them, it's just focus on the team rebounding game, multiple guys boxing out, a strategic double teams on guys maybe like Edie or Filipowski if they were to go up against them. 
in the tournament and then, you know, let your guards dictate the the pace and tempo of the game and, and, and try to try to dictate a different style of basketball. Um, and I trust Kelvin Sampson to have a game plan to do that. So it's a fair concern, but to me, it's, uh, it's secondary. It's not one that I'm, I'm too worried about at this point in time with them. I'm trying to find uh, where they rank in terms of rebounding margin in the country. They're actually 31st okay. in the country, which is so better not- than I thought. So they're still like yeah. top 30. Yeah. Yeah. They can other, hang man. Other teams ahead of them. That would be uh, like competitors, I guess, come tournament time, Seton hall, um, North Carolina, um, Boise state, Florida, um, Yukon, Gonzaga, Illinois, Arizona, Purdue, St. Mary's. Interesting. I don't know. It's, it's just something to think about. Just something to think about. Um, okay. Let's, let's hear your top four then. Cause I guess we guess, okay. I guess we just sort of teased Houston, right? Yeah. Give me, give me yeah, your other four. Let's jump into it. Other so three. Houston is my number one team. And, um, it was a combination of factors of why I moved them up from two to one for uh, this week. And I mentioned it a little bit. They had two ranked wins against Iowa state and Baylor this week. So that was huge. And if UConn had been at least competitive on the road at Creighton and maybe lost in the final minutes or just by, you know, five or six points, something like that, I might've still kept UConn there, but they get beaten down and, then they beat Villanova, a, a good, decent team. Somebody who's on the outside looking in right now. And they, they win handily on Saturday, but it wasn't a crazy win or anything like that. So those combination of factors is why I have flip-flopped Houston and UConn. I now have UConn at two. Some stat that I heard regarding UConn that I was absolutely stunned by, and I heard this on the uh, the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, uh, podcast that I tune into frequently for some college hoops news. They've lost 21 straight games on the road against ranked teams. That dates back to 2014, and they've won two national championships in that span, but they haven't been able to beat ranked teams on the road. I was baffled, baffled by that stat. I wonder if that makes uh, some of the bracket selection people reconsider how much they value road wins. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I, I Look, Creighton played their best basketball. Creighton yeah. shot the ball phenomenally well. So, like, I think they it, went fifty percent from three. It sounds about right. Uh, Stephen Ashworth had like a, a wild game. Ed Norton looked like, by the way, anybody you should look that up on online when you. Creighton's also twenty-seven and two at home the last two years. Yeah, so it's it's a tough environment, and you just. Or, I'm sorry, uh, Marquette is who UConn's going to be playing uh, pretty soon. Okay. Okay, but. To, to the point about Marquette, like you kind of just beat Marquette and now you got to double down and go on the road now against another top 15 team. It's not the easiest turnaround in the world. And I think they only had two or three days. So it's not like they had a ton of rest, but man, yeah, that's, that was a crazy stat there. Nonetheless, UConn still has nine quad one wins. I, I got him at number two. It's a bad loss, but they responded fine against Villanova. Purdue kind of had two meh. Nothing wins. Uh, they beat Rutgers. They beat Michigan today. They kind of had to fight and scrap for that win uh, earlier this afternoon. Uh, we're recording on Sunday against Michigan. They won by like eight or 10 points. Not going to move them up. Not going to move them down. Keep them at three. I still think that they're tracking towards a number one seed come tournament time. Where I did make a change, though. Uh, I have bumped Arizona out of the top four. And I really struggled with who to put in this uh, number four spot. And I think Arizona still has a case to be that team, but I didn't like the fact that they lost on their home court to Washington state on Thursday. 
they respond with a solid win against Washington. Washington's not very good. Um, they get that win Saturday, so they're one and one on the week. And Washington State is actually ranked in the AP top 25. And the Cougars actually swept Arizona this year, which I pretty impressive. I didn't know that until I uh until I checked the box score Friday morning. But it's a game that they should have won, in my opinion. And uh it's it's a loss that for me it's gonna bump them out when Kansas kind of crushes Texas on Saturday. And we talked about the no, notable wins. And so I'm going to put Kansas in to my number four spot. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but Kansas is going to be my number four team and, and going past Arizona. I just like the wins on their resume, even though they are at home. Uh, you got Connecticut. They beat and they beat Houston. They beat in Tennessee. They're a team that's playing pretty good basketball. I like their guard play as well. Uh, like guys like Dewan Harris. And then you go down low McCuller, uh, Hunter Dickinson. All, all pretty good players. I think that just the Big 12 is tougher strength to schedule, and Kansas has seven quad one wins now. Give me the Jayhawks at number four. I got them slightly past Arizona as an honorable mention, and then Tennessee is hanging right around there too. I just think Tennessee has taken a few too many losses to teams below them in the rankings as well that I can't quite um, make that leap yet for, well, for them. looking at their last, what, they they've won their last four games, right? Who are we talking about Kansas uh, or Tennessee? Tennessee. They lost Tennessee. to A and M a while back on the road. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat Kentucky on the road though. Mm-hmm. Um, their next four games are nuts: Auburn, Bama, South Carolina, Kentucky. You're basically playing the other four of the five, top five in the go. SEC yeah. right there. Like that's that is a gauntlet. To finish yeah, out. dude. Yeah, and honestly, the best test that you could have before the tournament. To be yeah. to be honest, like win or lose, these games like Tennessee is going to be in the tournament no matter what happens the next two three weeks, right? Having this before the SEC tournament and before the NCAA tournament, I think is really really good for that group. Yeah, it'll be a big battle test as well, and it could be a situation considering how difficult those those four games are that they still have to play. Kansas could beat the teams in front of them. I know that they do have a matchup on the road against Houston, but it could be a situation where Kansas takes care of the teams in front of them and beats the teams that they still have to play on their schedule. And I bump Tennessee in because Tennessee maybe runs the table or something like that. Like that schedule is that daunting and and wins against all of those teams would be that impressive to maybe bump them in over Kansas, regardless of what the Jayhawks do. Um, Maybe I'm getting caught up in the name value of a blue blood like Kansas, but Again, I, I like their resume a little bit better. Tennessee is only four and five in quad one as well, whereas I mentioned Kansas has seven quad one wins. That was ultimately the tiebreaker for me. But I'll admit this, all of the analytics and like the net rankings have Tennessee higher than Kansas there. So some of the underlying metrics work in the volunteers' favor. But you're right. Yeah, if, if Tennessee gets through that that last stretch of the schedule kind of unscathed or they go maybe even just three and one, I think they're going to have a lot of confidence come tourney time. Well, right now, I think they're – like overall they're six and four i believe against ranked teams on the season or teams that have been ranked at some point one or another not necessarily not necessarily teams that were ranked when they played them just teams that are have been ranked during the season so um pretty pretty average i guess like above above 500 but that's the team that i think is on my radar the most out of those and that's five. Fair. And I know it's a top four, but that's the team that I've got my eye on the most these next couple of weeks because of their schedule. That's fair. And I'll say this about Tennessee as well, uh, which differs from Kansas, that I think that you could say that there's a better chance that they could win their conference tournament than Kansas, because I think that there's 
you know, Kansas is definitively not as good as Houston, where you can make the argument that Tennessee is the best team in the SEC. And if let's say it comes down to Tennessee and Kansas, or maybe even throw Arizona into the mix for that final number one seed, I think that it's, they are the most likely team to actually win their conference tournament between Tennessee and Kansas. And then winning the SEC would look a lot better than Arizona winning the Pac-12. And all of those things could bode well for Tennessee to potentially get that last number one seed come March. Okay. Okay. I got you. Um, I don't know, man. There's been a lot of shakeups recently. I mean, Kentucky beat Bama. Illinois lost at midweek, right? Uh, to Penn State, dude. That after yeah. like They give up like eight points in the final. Maybe it wasn't quite that much, but they give up like three or four buckets in the final minute to, yeah. to lose that game. And Terrible. then you, you had Duke losing to Wake. You had Marquette getting smacked by UConn, who then gets smacked by Creighton. Right. Uh, Iowa State, didn't they lose like really recently as well? Uh, well, they lost to Houston, like we talked about, and yeah. then they had to, they had to kind of claw and fight against a bad West Virginia team. Uh, they they pulled it out, but they only won that game by like seven or eight. It was like kind of close throughout. I think that might be the team that's getting overlooked. If I had yeah, you to mentioned that up. last week, yeah. Like if I was going to make a top four right now, I would probably have you uh, Houston one, UConn two. I think I would go. Man, I think I would probably go Iowa State three, Kansas four, and then interesting Tennessee so have, Tennessee five. So you have three of the top four teams in the country are Big Twelve teams. Yeah, interesting. I mean, it's it's a gauntlet of a conference. Um, I thought Kansas played Iowa State again this year, but I guess they do not. Iowa State did beat Kansas earlier in the year, but it was um, in Ames, so Iowa State was was at home, uh, but they do have the head-to-head win over Kansas there. Kansas's schedule doesn't get necessarily easy either. Um, the no. final four games for them, they are home against BYU, who BYU was ranked going into this week, but they dropped a game to Kansas State, so they're probably going to fall just out of the top 25, I would think, but they're right on the fringe. Uh, Kansas has to hit the road and go into Baylor next Saturday. they got a home game against Kansas State, which should be like the one like easy match on their schedule. And then they're at Houston to finish out the year. Not not the easiest final four games for them either. Well, Houston's got to go on the road to Oklahoma um, next week too. I think that could be a little bit of a of a trap game. Yeah. Um, talk to me about my Gamecocks though. We got we got a big win against Ole Miss. Um, Love it, dude. This weekend, we we still got a couple of big games ahead of us as well. But in terms of the NCAA tournament, would you say we are a lock to make it at this point? Or yes. do we still need to win another game? You said yes. No. I Yes, I got us in. I, I think that if we had lost out, like lost the old game to Ole Miss and then lost the rest of the way, that then you could start making an argument that, okay, maybe this team isn't a lock to make the tourney yet. But uh, I think Lenardi had us as a seven seed going into that game. I don't necessarily know if a road win at Ole Miss would bump you up in the seeding line. But we're guaranteed now we, to at least at the very worst have a 22 and nine record in the regular season. We have 10 SEC wins. We have quad one wins against Tennessee and Kentucky. I think that that Mississippi State game is technically a quad one win now because they played well of late and, and climbed in the net rankings. We'll have to play them again before the end yep. of the year. And, and we'll have another opportunity uh, to build the resume there. Don't get me wrong. If we lose the rest of our games, we'll fall seeding wise, but we're still going to be in the tournament field. Uh, I thought that this was 
this was a nice win. This was a feel good win for, for wire to wire. It felt like, yeah, because we, we were dominant from the get go and we really played our style of basketball. We shut Ole Miss down, held them to under 60 points. And I came out, you, you know, I, you know, I did in the, in the group chat, I guaranteed a win about half an hour before game time. And the reason I felt confident in it was because they had a whole week to prepare for this game. And South Carolina is not necessarily the most talented team roster wise. If you compare maybe to like a, a Tennessee or a Kentucky, for example, or Alabama, but they are a very well coached Lamont Paris is of course, I've said it many a times. He's my pick for coach of the year. He gets the best out of these guys and he had a full week to prepare for this game. And you think he's not going to have these boys ready to play after a couple bad losses. You're crazy. So this was a great win for the Gamecocks. Um, I think they're going to build on it. They're going to be five. I th- they're going to be fine. I think that they can push towards a top five seed. I, I think that they can reasonably like a, be a five seed come tournament time. Uh, we'll see how they finish uh, during the final moments of the regular season and in the SEC tournament. But we are squarely in the NCAA tournament field. We will be dancing for the first time since that 2017 tournament. I think there's any chance they could vault into like a four seed if they go on a real SEC tournament run and maybe win the whole thing? Or even let's say get to the final of it. Because I think winning it is a little unrealistic, but let's say they get to the final. Because if yes. they're a top four seed going into it, they'll have a two uh, two game bye. Right. So um, yeah, if they if they make a deep run, maybe to the championship game of the SEC tournament, um, and then let's see who they got on their schedule. Uh, home I mean, versus Florida and Tennessee on the road versus A and M and Mississippi State. All right. So. If they can get so if they knock off Tennessee again and then make a deep run in the in the SEC tournament and you know maybe go like beat Florida as well and there go like two and two down the stretch and make a deep run in the SEC tournament, absolutely I could see them as a four seed. I could potentially even see them get into the three line. Um, I think that any chance of of a two seed is out the window after the loss to LSU and the really bad loss to Auburn. But if everything broke their way, and even the bad loss to Bama earlier in the year, yeah, too. that too. If everything broke their way, maybe you could get as high as the three line. I think that that's the absolute highest I could see them right now. But yeah, I mean, four seed, five seed, kind of splitting hairs right there. I kind of expect them to be on the five six line if I were guessing right now. Uh, but we'll see. I, I mean, they're they're well coached, like I said, and I trust Lamont Paris come SEC tournament time and come NCAA tournament time. Go Cox. Uh, by the way, Marquette is now leading Xavier by 20 points <laughs> uh, oh, okay. about halfway through the second half. Um, Classic podcast jinx. Won't yeah. be the first time. Isn't the first time. Won't be the last. 19 to 9 uh, to start the, the second half. There you for, go. For the Golden Eagles. Um, yeah, but go Cox, like you said. Go Cox, yeah. Um, I got a couple of NBA nuggets for you, Paul. Let's transition. Let's transition over to the NBA game. Uh, so... First things first, um, Trey Young tears ligament in his left pinky earlier in the week. The Hawks have lost three straight. Young's about to miss at least a month now because uh, he's going to be getting surgery on this finger. Um, the Hawks have been pretty middling all year. Right now they're in the 10th spot in the East, which would put them in as the last team in the play-in to the tournament. So already they're road into actually – making it into a seven or eight seed to eventually get swept by the Celtics or something like that is, isn't necessarily easy, or maybe they'll win a game against whoever, you know, if, if they can get there, but now they're going to be missing young too. Um, Brooklyn is three games behind them in the standings. Other than that, none of the teams in the East are really 
how should I say this? Um, everybody else in the East behind them either sucks or is tanking. Brooklyn's the only team that would maybe catch them. The only cachet with them is they just fired their head coach, Jock Vaughn, and are now going to have interim head coach Kevin Ollie leading the team for the rest of the season. So even Brooklyn is kind of in turmoil. Basically, what I'm saying is that the the back end of the East is like a total crapshoot. <laughs> and I think with this young injury, um, there was a little buzz speculation preseason and even around the trade deadline around him. Not a lot. More around the trade deadline was based around his teammate, DeJounte Murray. But I, especially with Young now missing two straight all-star games, his value was going to start declining as a player, especially with this injury. Maybe if it turns into something more serious, the Hawks miss the playoff, right? It's not a great mm-hmm. look for, for this guy's resume, a guy who Atlanta was once thought to be building this team around, famously traded Luka Doncic for as well in the draft. Oh, geez, um, I didn't even know that. I am of the belief that this is the prelude to Trey Young being traded away from the Hawks in the offseason and that Atlanta tries to either build a team around DeJounte Murray or eventually begin their own sort of mini tanking process. Um, The East is getting stronger at the top with the Celtics and the Cavs playing really well, even the Knicks also. And that's not even counting teams like Philly, like Milwaukee, um, like Miami even. So I don't really know what Atlanta's next move is with Young. Like he's proven himself at this point to not be a guy you can – you can win with he had the one playoff run where they beat uh the knicks and made it to the eastern conference semis or eastern conference finals i think it was the semis against milwaukee and the hawks in the in the in the conference finals so i think it had to be semis i think it was the semis against milwaukee and then milwaukee eventually went and played the bucks on the way to their title run um so yeah i just don't know what their next move is like he's proven himself at this point to not be a guy that you can build a championship caliber team around or a championship contending team around so you're better off trading him for whatever you can get because guards grow on trees these days that can score the ball you can maybe draft someone in the middle of the first round and build around him or or bring someone in uh via trade with the picks that you get from trading away young like I, i would even say like if you want to go for a project run, Charlotte's not too far away, man. LaMelo ball is right there and he doesn't look like he wants to win in Charlotte. Brandon Miller is a budding superstar and Charlotte, quite frankly, stinks as well. Um, I don't think it's really likely young would get traded somewhere within his own conference. And and this is sort of getting to a hairbrained rant at this point, but I really believe young is um, getting closer to his last days in an Atlanta Hawks uniform. I firmly believe that at this point. Interesting. Um, and you said he's missed the all-star game the past two years, right? Yeah, he, he didn't get voted in the last two he years. He get voted in. This year, yeah, he's been snubbed a little bit, but the guard talent in the East has gone up. Ty- Tyrese Halliburton's having an yeah. incredible season. Um, Jalen Brunson as well has elevated his yeah, play. Yeah, I know about Brunson. Like, Young just isn't one of the best guards in the league anymore. Never mind his own conference. He's He's just not at the top tier of those players anymore. I, I mean, I'm just looking at some of his numbers now, and I found it I found it crazy that this guy wouldn't at least get voted to the All-Star game, it's averaging 26 and 10. Um, but, I, you know, I know that there are, like you said, some of those other guys are extremely talented out there as well. I, I thought that the point that you said about, like, 
necessarily he's been in the league for a few years now you can kind of tell maybe you can't build a, a championship caliber team around him maybe you can build a good team around him but you can't build a, a championship caliber team around him I, it's it's a little bit of a similar parallel when you're talking about some of the NFL teams that we had it's like can you build around a quarterback and make a team that's good enough to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs and I agree that, you know, just looking at some of the other names on this roster and looking at Trey Young's production and where the Hawks have gone in the past couple of years, I don't see what the solution is going to be for keeping him and bringing in other pieces that could have them competing with your Boston Celtics, say, or maybe the the Bucks with, with Giannis. I think it is a far cry from there. But what I'm really wondering is what if, what if he comes back? I, I can't remember what you said about the timetable for return. What if he comes back? They still sneak their way into the playoffs and they they pull off some upsets here or there. Or do you think that there's just no chance that that could happen? Because you said they face Boston first round if they went anywhere. If they made it into the plan and if they, uh, the highest they could get into the playoffs and through the plan would be either the seventh or eighth seed. So okay. maybe if they get into the seventh seed and like. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't really know. Like, could could a deep run? I don't see that happening. Too. I don't see could, that. Happening. But could it could it save him, or could it keep him in Atlanta? Yeah, would that but, be enough? Yeah, but that's not happening this year. Okay. Like, it's just I think if you're expecting that as an Atlanta Hawks fan, or if you're uh, hoping on it, don't hold your breath, okay? Because it's you're don't just don't do it. Whatever you do, um, I'm looking at his usage rates right? The last handful of years. If you go back to 2019, 2020, all right, he was fifth in the league in usage rate. Every single year since then, it's gone down. Okay. So the Hawks are using him less and less and less, or at least they're trying to. Um, The quarterback analogy that you made is pretty good because he actually still has the ball like a ton. Uh, This year, his usage rate is 22nd in the league at 29.2%, which is actually the lowest of his career currently but nobody else on his team gets the ball more than him either um so yeah it's like it's he's proven at this point that you can't really run the offense through him and expect to be an efficient high level winning nba basketball team and he's not helping you on the defensive end either he's not like some big imposing lengthy guard figure he's a small dude like you can just blow by him a lot of bigger guards that are coming into league these days can post him up and just put points on him. Does he shoot too much by the way? Cause I know that that was a problem in Oklahoma, but he's, he's again, a good shooter with, with Oklahoma. He didn't really have he anything around him. So I don't know. He's, he can be streaky at times. Like every once in a while, oh, he'll yeah. be really inefficient. And then sometimes he'll have hot streaks. Like that's kind of part of the whole yeah. thing with him as well. So I think he's, I guess, in his, he's, he's on his last legs in Atlanta for sure. I guess there's it, maybe it was a dumb question because in the NBA with how the game is transformed now, especially like with what Steph has done for it, I, I don't know if the term shoot too much is like in any sort of guards vocabulary, but I, I know that that was a big thing at, with him at Oklahoma and he didn't have a ton of talent around him. And maybe it's a similar type thing here in Atlanta where he's trying to do too much and it's, it's hurting maybe him and the team, but. Well, I just had my dream scenario in my head is that he lands in San Antonio with Victor Wembanyama. <laughs> is that right yeah I mean, because, Yama's still still kicking it pretty good right well if you have Wemby behind him like then his uh defensive inefficiencies almost don't matter because you've got a guy behind him who can clean it up maybe yeah. average like five blocks a season which isn't easy to do 
by the way. Like I think uh, Shaq was the last guy to do it, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, or maybe Shaq was. I don't know. I'm. I don't want to misrepresent that. Yeah, Wembenyama's unreal, man. The Spurs suck and are a horrendous team to watch, but Wembenyama incredible, and he's on a minutes restric- restriction too. So the stats he can actually record are are very limited. <laughs> like he's what not. Did they res- what did they restrict him minutes wise? I didn't he, even know that. If he plays more than thirty minutes a game, it's because he's having a really awesome game. Typically, wow. Yeah. So, so that's it's like. like He's missing like a third of the game, basically. It's like it's like the Spurs' own version of what the Nats did with Strasburg back when he was first coming up with the, the pitch count. Kind of, sort of. Kind of, yeah. sort of, yeah. Like, they're not really going to win this year. They're trying to just build and grow. You got to remember, he's also playing the NBA and American game for the first time. Like, European and FIBA rules are pretty different. So there was a little bit of a learning curve at the beginning of the season. He even said his first summer league game that he felt like he had no idea what he was doing, uh-huh. which is pretty, pretty crazy to think about considering some of the dominant stuff that he's doing in this first year um, in a loss or in a win against Toronto early last week, he had a triple double and almost had a five by five game, which is like five or more tallies in five categories he missed that five by five by like a hair. And then against the Lakers, the last, last night actually has a five by five game, just the 15th in NBA history. He's the youngest ever to accomplish it and did so in fewer minutes than anybody ever has before. He's 20 years old. He did it in 31 minutes of play. Um, he's incredible, man. And he's not even really being like used fully. And he doesn't have anybody around him of note, really. So just to, like envision what maybe the Spurs could look like down the line if they actually have a real basketball team with Victor Webinyama is terrifying for me and for the rest of the league, or at least it should be, because there's something really special brewing with him, like Kareem, uh, Hakeem the Dream-esque almost, at, at least David Robinson or Patrick Ewing at the very least, right? Like this guy's already on a Hall of Fame track as a rookie, which some people will say is ridiculous, but it's true. You just have to look into the numbers. Well, I'll admit, I didn't even know what a five by five was. Like, I didn't know that that was like a, a thing in the NBA until I, I dove into to some of your notes here and, and, and heard that stat that you threw out there. That's incredible because you're involved in so many aspects of the game, right? Like, obviously, you're involved in, in offense, defense, getting rebounds. Here's his final stat line from that game. 27 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists, 5 steals, 5 blocks. He almost had a triple-double, too, dude. Like, right. That's I mean, insane. There's no aspect of the game right now already as a rookie that you can get away from him or that you can neutralize him in, it seems like. And I got to imagine that he's going to, there's going to be some filling out and some, some meat that they're going to try to put on his bones too. Right. That's just only going to help him in the years to come. You said he's only 20. Yeah. Eventually you would think that either, well, one, there's a scary small potential that maybe he grows another inch, right. Cause he's only 20 Is years that, old. Do they, do they really think that he could keep growing? Probably not, but you, cause it's impossible to think that as someone who's seven foot, four or five or whatever, but you never know. He could. Well, I know. Cause I remember this distinctly when uh, Curry was coming out of college. Kevin Durant too. Really small at, at Davidson. And uh, I know that I remember hearing on ESPN or something like that. They thought that there's a potential that he could still have a little bit more growing to do. And I figured, okay, well, when Yam is younger now than Curry was when he was coming out of college and going into the NBA. So maybe it's or same age roughly. So maybe it is possible. And that wasn't the conversation around KD, by the way. When I mentioned him, I mentioned him because 
he was drafted out of college at a certain height. And then actually he was drafted as like a, like a tall guard almost out of college mm-hmm. or like a, like a small forward. And now has like, he's like seven feet at least. Like it's pretty obvious. If you look at pictures of him next to seven footers, like Rudy Gobert, who's seven foot two, I think he was like this far below, but some places yeah. will have him listed at like six ten, six eleven. So anyways, I'm getting off topic. Um, yeah. So here's a list of players in an NBA season who, who have averaged 20 points, 10 rebounds, three assists, and three blocks per game. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Hakeem Olajuwon, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Bob Lanier, and Shaq. The youngest ever do it was Lanier at 25. Weminyam is on track to meet that. All of those statistical requirements, and he's 20. All those other guys I mentioned are Hall of Famers. He's five years younger than the youngest guy to ever do that. And this is his rookie season, his first time ever playing the American style of basketball with the rules, defensive uh, three seconds and everything like that. This is ridiculous, man. It's it's so, so impressive what he's doing night to night. Does he even have like a defined position, really? He's, I, a, he's a center, but he can also like... But he can do so much, so much else. And he's he can also in bring the ball the up games. the court. Exactly. And like, I've seen him run the point before, I feel like, on highlights yeah. and at times like that. He's got parts of every position in his game. Like he can pick you up off the dribble from beyond the three point line and then pull up on you and nail something from 26, 27 feet. Or he can like dunk on your face. <laughs> he can, he can block shots from the three point line from, from the paint. Like he's a Swiss army knife of everything. And he's showing that. And this is why he was as hyped up as a prospect as he was. It wasn't just because he was seven foot four is because he was freaking amazing at everything. Mm. Like, to a scale in which people hadn't seen since LeBron, which is why people gave him those comparisons. Let me ask you this. How long do you think it's going to take for the Spurs to be a legit contender? Like, how many how many years? I know that they got to get some pieces around him because they don't really have much. But if you factor in time to, to get some tools around him to work with and just natural growth within himself, when Minyama, that is, Give me a rough timetable for where we could be talking about the Spurs as a legit NBA Finals contender. Well, first of all, that's an awesome question. Um, Thank you. I would try s- here on the on the podcast. I don't want to say like he has to win a title by because that's really unfair to a rookie guy in his first time in the league. So I'm not going to do that. What I will say is that if I were them, I would be on a five year plan or less okay. to be one of those top five seeds in the West, right? Top okay. four seeds in the West. Seems reasonable. And the reason why I'm putting it that way is because LeBron and Curry are both going to be retiring within those next five years, probably. Um, Curry maybe has a chance to play a little bit longer because he's in great shape. He's almost like an Olympian level athlete with how much he's moving during the game, how great his physicality is. He hasn't had many like super, super serious injuries either. Um, God forbid he does. I, I love watching him play, even though uh, my Celtics fell victim to the Warriors in the finals a couple of years ago. He's my favorite non-Celtic, like still, always will be. I love Steph too. Um, but actually, I would say Kobe's number one, but Steph's number two. Anyways, um, <laughs> I would say that five years, because by then maybe you think both those guys are out of the league and then contention's wide open. Like the Thunder have a great roster and they're building and they're young, but they're unproven. The Timberwolves kind of the same thing. You've got the Clippers right now, which have a lot of veteran talent, Kawhi, James Harden, Paul George. But 
at those at that five year point, a lot of those guys are going to be outside of their prime and kind of at the tail end of their careers. So there is going to be a point within the next five to six years where the West shifts to some kind of new power or some other great teams like Jokic, obviously in Denver is still there. I don't ever really see him leaving. Uh, Luca and the Mavs are continuing to get better. But other than that, it's like there's room for one of those other teams to slide in and be that next great threat. Um, the Spurs are going to be in the lottery again this year and quite possibly next year as well. I could see them taking another year to kind of go slow, like try to develop around women, Yama, figure out his strengths, weaknesses, keep him healthy, keep him building, keep him growing the game, add a couple more moves to his bag so that he can break people down more one-on-one, that sort of thing and try to find ways to put pieces around him. So I kind of like tinfoil hat mentioned Trey young getting traded to the Spurs. That's not actually going to happen. Cause I don't think I could see San Antonio in the off season going like, what are we doing? This guy has potential to be generational and we're not utilizing the first couple of years of his career. Why don't we like go all in, put some more chips in and see what happens. I can see that, but I don't see them doing it with a superstar move. I think it would be more like a bunch of small pieces, like role player guys, a couple of like vets who can uh, handle the ball and, and shoot a little bit, play some defense as well. And, and maybe they they're a sneaky team, but I don't see them making that like big, chips all the way and move quite yet yeah i don't well i don't think that they have enough pieces you're right to to make that move that's yet. part of okay. it like unless but, they gave up a, a ton of picks and by then it wouldn't even be worth it like you'd be giving yeah, up but, so much in, in the near future and potential long term to where it outweighs yeah, the, and, the pros and don't yeah don't you think that you kind of alluded to it there but don't you think that those picks right now if they are going to be a bad team like finish bad again like they are this year maybe again next year like aren't those picks maybe more valuable to just spend on draft picks rather than trade away for uh, an NBA guy already who's older and might not fit the timetable in which you have to, to succeed. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the NBA draft this year looks like it kind of sucks. Like just in terms of the, the available talent at that top level, especially compared to last year, like there was so much of a conversation around Webin Yama and Scoot Henderson and, and whatnot. Everybody was like, going crazy about how if it wasn't for Weminyama, everybody would be talking about Scoot and how great of a prospect he was, and how he was generational and whatnot. He deserved to be the one, number one pick. Whereas now it's sort of like, which of these guys do we want to take first? It mm-hmm. doesn't stand out quite as much. Whereas next year, it's presumed to be Cooper Flag. Like he's probably going to be the number one guy. But there's also um, some other really talented guys that are going to be potential one and dones at the college level or even like ignite and European players that could uh, get into the mix. So there's, there's more room for the Spurs to add for sure. Um, We'll just have to see what happens, man. Either way, like women, Yama is doing some crazy stuff. And I would say like, I mean, five blocks, we've seen him have double digit blocks in games before as well. He he very well could get to a point where he, he does a quadruple double, which hasn't happened very often in NBA history either. Um, that would be pretty nuts. If he, if he was able to do that as well, um, I mean, just thinking about it, it's like, doesn't compute. Um, he and LeBron were posting picks after that Lakers game uh, with uh, the crown emoji and the alien emoji because Wembenyama's new logo is like the, the alien. I don't know. Uh-huh. If you, you probably haven't seen that. I'm, I'm falling in love with this, with watching this dude. <laughs> 
I have not seen the alien emoji thing, but um, yeah, I'm not a big emoji guy, but nonetheless, not a big emoji guy. Poly, no, poly emojis. I had an iPhone for people who don't know. I had an iPhone four up until I think my sophomore year of college, so which was only <laughs> like a decade, six six years ago or something like that. So just had the same phone for like a decade. I'm not the most technically inclined. Yeah, I have an <laughs> I have an iPhone ten now, but it doesn't charge naturally with uh, with the cord. I have to do a wireless charger. I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. I always have some sort of issues with my phone. Yeah, I get that. I get that to a certain extent. Um, last thing I want to talk about NBA-wise, Boston Celtics. This is, my, this is my homer talk for a little bit, but I think it's warranted because a lot of people are talking about the dominance of the Celtics right now. Um, yeah, unlike when you bring up the Patriots or Tom Brady out of the blue, the Celtics actually are very relevant in the NBA discussion. So this one I can let you get away with. Uh, thanks, I, I think. Um, it was uh, supposed to be a backwards compliment. I know, I know. Uh, Celtics had a 116-102 win against the Knicks Saturday night. Uh, to be fair, the Knicks were down, uh, not just Mitchell Robinson, who of course has a season injury, but uh, Julius Randle and new acquisition OG Ananobi. So I'm not taking too much stock in the win itself. That's not really what I'm talking about. It's more the, the overall general season that the Celtics have had. Um, they made a couple of minor moves to the trade deadline, nothing special, but they added a couple of role players that I think could be really big for them. Um, they're doing some crazy things efficiency wise in the league. And, and it's checked just from the eye test, like watching them this year compared to last year, it seems like they get, um, they always used to have this tendency to get stuck in like Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum one-on-one ISO ball where like these guys are trying to do the Caleb Williams ask like hero ball shit. Right. And it turns into stagnant offense late in games, and they can't beat the teams that they need to, especially in, in playoff games. Whereas now, with Derek White continuing to go up a level, he has more blocks than Giannis Antetokounmpo this season, by the way, as a guard. Um, Would not have guessed that. Leads the NBA in blocks as a guard. He's probably – he and Drew Holiday should <laughs> could easily be considered, like, the two best defensive guards in the league, if not two of the, like, five best um it's especially at the point of attack um but right now boston has the best net rating the nba has seen since the 2016-17 warriors uh kind of a big deal the warriors set a single season wins record that year um they also have the 10th best net rating in nba history uh eight of the or all but two of the teams above them won the NBA title that year. The only two that didn't were the Warriors in 2015 and the Spurs in 2016, who lost to LeBron James. So I guess I'm just holding out hope that we don't have a Celtics-Lakers matchup come June or July or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, man, like this is the most dominant Celtics team I think I've ever seen, even including that 2018 with Garnett and Pierce and Allen and Rondo. Um it's the largest lead right now they've had in the conference since then. They have an eight an eight game lead in the in the one seed right now, whereas in 08, the largest they had was seven and a half. So they're really just running through everybody. Like they've had a few really tough games, mostly to Western Conference teams. Uh specifically, I think of losses to um Minnesota and Dallas and uh not Dallas, Minnesota and um no, I think it was Dallas, actually. Yeah, it was Dallas. Um, 
they also had a really bad loss to the Bucks at one point, but that was on a back-to-back after a game they won in overtime and they rested their starters the whole second half. They lost by like 30. They basically gave up. So it's I don't want to say this this year kind of feels like finals or bust, but if we don't get it done this year, there's going to be some real questions raised about the team. And I'm not even trying to think that way. I'm enjoying how good the team is. They're so much fun to watch. They share the ball. Everybody can shoot. Everybody can attack off the dribble. It feels like they play great defense. Um, Yeah, man, it's sort of like, this feels like this is the year where it should be our year. We just got to stay healthy and, and keep winning and, the playoffs are always a grind. We've seen things change for us there. And, and Missoula is, um, uh, I guess, quirks or weaknesses as a coach stood out last year, but it was also his first time doing the thing. He didn't have great assistance around him, and this year he does. So I'm excited to see what um, this Boston season turns into down the stretch on the hardwood. Well, I, I got to say, I mean, as an objective third party, I think that this is, you know, a championship or bust year again for you guys. And I, I like, I have to actually, That's what it feels think, like. I have to, as just an objective person say, yeah, I think that they are, you guys do have the best chance to win the NBA finals right now. What struck me was a stat or um, a slew of stats that I saw on ESPN this morning um, while I was watching some highlights. It's how good you guys are on the road. Listen to these numbers since January 15th. Not sure. Maybe you know them already. Maybe you don't. Uh, Since January 15th, the Celtics are 8-0 on the road. That is first in the NBA, as you could imagine. They average nearly 120 points per game, sixth in the NBA. Uh, Their points per game differential is first on the road, 12.9 positive points per game. Uh, that's the best rank in the NBA. They shoot over 51% from the field, second. And then their uh, three-point field goals made per game is just over 17, and that is first among NBA teams. Basically, they are like the best team in the NBA on the road. And then you consider the fact that they've only lost three games at home this year. Like, there's no – I don't understand how any team can say or could feel confident about potentially knocking them off in a seven-game series. To me, right now, I think that you guys are the clear-cut favorite unless there's a major injury. I'm sure that you as a fan and seeing some of the shortcomings over the past couple of years, maybe you're thinking of this a little bit more cautiously, but I, I don't, I don't see a way you guys don't win this unless there's an injury. I know there's some good teams out in the West, but I, I don't, I don't see anybody that can be on your level right now, at least the way you guys are playing. Um, It's certainly easy to like stick myself into that thought process. And I've been tried to, I've tried to, not get too ahead of myself this year because it's a long season injuries do happen guys have to stay healthy Kristaps Porzingis if especially he's the key if, if he's not healthy come playoff time our team is entirely different it doesn't work the same we're not as good and we're very vulnerable whereas if we've got all our best guys healthy yeah there's not many teams that can beat us Whereas if we've got all our guys healthy yeah like you said there's there's not many guys that can beat us four times in a seven game series um there's a couple teams in the west that scare me like really all the top four teams in the west are really damn good denver uh the clippers the thunder and the timberwolves but the thunder and the timberwolves are are really young still the clippers really scare me and denver just because they have Jokic. but within our own conference i actually feel pretty good um i would eight game lead (laughs) yeah 
Miami, I'm still nervous about, though, because I don't think Miami really cares about the regular season. I think that they actually want to match up against the Celtics in the playoff because they feel like they have our number and they're in the eighth seed right now. And I feel like they're very much okay with that. Like they're just trying to figure out whatever their best team is and kind of like Kentucky this year in college basketball, like we were talking about earlier, like it's the same old Jimmy Butler shit. Once it hits, once it hits the play in or the playoffs, the heat or slightly before the heat will turn it up. And I really hope we don't have to play them at all. Honestly, I would love it if they slid down to like if they moved up to like a five or six spot and ended up like getting beaten early. But I don't know, man, that's that's the team I keep having in the back of my head. And I know that they're not record wise, like anywhere near the top of either conference and have some issues on their team. But that's the team that scares me the most. Um, it's probably just from like past experiences. But yeah, I was going to say, do you think that that's just because that they they went on that run last year from a similar spot in the standings? Yeah, but it's also like I wasn't the first time we've seen them do that either. Like Spolstra and Butler have sort of made a um, – it's been a pattern with them. We've seen it multiple times. So who's just – like I don't – I wouldn't bet against them is what I'm saying. I, I, I would – I wouldn't be surprised if we found ourselves in that situation. I don't necessarily think it's the most likely outcome, but I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Like the, the bucks, I don't feel as worried about the Cavs have been really good. I think they're 18 and two in their last 20 games, if I'm not mistaken. Um, no, that's not right. Um, but they, they've, they've been really, really talented. Um, the last couple months of the season and, and have gotten a lot better since getting Darius Garland back. Otherwise it's kind of like them and the bucks and the Knicks and the Sixers all sort of blend together. And, and the Sixers are on the outside of that conversation with Embiid being uh, hurt and, and still out right now. Um, championship or bust for sure. Um, if, if they can't get it done this year, depending on how that would happen, there would be some really interesting conversations in, in the Boston media and in the NBA about guys like Tatum and Brown and um, what they're able to do. But on the flip side, I think if they can win it with the age that Tatum is at, there's a potential for him to maybe move into that next face of the NBA category, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jokic doesn't have any interest in even playing basketball. It seems Jokic like hates basketball. That's yeah. one of the things I love about him. He just wants to go drive chariots over back at the homeland. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Luca, I think is the guy I think that Tatum would probably have to compete with. But then you've also got Wembenyama. You've got Anthony Edwards. Like, I don't know, man. This next phase of stars in the NBA, there's room for someone to like take that pedestal as the guy that you got to beat. And there's a window right now for the Celtics to do that with the makeup of their team, which guys that they could potentially be bringing back next year too. Like there's some really, really high level potential for what, what they're doing right now on the floor on both sides, not just offensively, but defensively too. There's such a great team on, on both sides of the floor. And um, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm also a little nervous and trying to um, be cautious even though I just said championship or bust, but I feel like, like you, you kind of acknowledge it too. I don't think I'm uh, crazy for saying I can, that. I can sense the the caution or the hesitance in your voice. I think, and I think that that's probably driven from what's happened the past couple of years, getting so close, but not yeah. getting 
not getting over the hump. I um, certainly expect us to play for a conference title at this point. Like that, it's right. like that at the very least, but after that, who knows? Yeah, exactly. Uh, I very interesting what you said about Tatum, just um, uh, among being the face of the NBA, if he can pull this one out and the Celtics can win this one, it hadn't been something I thought about. The only other thing I wanted to talk about with, with Boston, you mentioned there'd be some interesting discussions, whether it be in the, the Boston media and among the NBA themselves, if the Celtics do kind of collapse in the playoffs or they, they fall short again, as they have the past couple of years. Do any of those discussions involve trading some of the high end talent on your team if they can't get over the hump again this year? Or is that something that's still not going to enter the realm of discussion? Um, It's possible. I don't know. I would say that there have always been these conversations about trading Jalen Brown. And I don't ever think internally they've ever been seriously discussed. Well, didn't I think, he just sign a new deal, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, richest contract extension in NBA history as well. So there you um, go. Tatum will break that for, for, for Brown probably next year. Um, mm -hmm. There's been some conversations about that. The only time I think they ever came close to discussing it was when uh, Kevin Durant was on the block in Brooklyn before he got traded to Phoenix. That was when there was really a, a fork in the road, which the Celtics had to make a decision. Like we've got the pieces to push these chips in and go and get this guy. Like they still had Marcus smart at the time um, who they traded afterwards. Yeah. I guess you guys did trade him after this past year. Um, they could have put together a package with Brown, Smart, Grant Williams, probably gotten Durant back and maybe somebody else along with it too. They would have had to give up picks along with those guys in the process. And that would have really changed the direction and makeup and backbone and like feel of the team. But they stuck with their guys. Uh, Brown and Tatum have been close since before either of them were in the league, before either of them even played college ball. These guys know each other really well. They love each other's styles of games. They love playing with each other. Um, White, Porzingis are like the same way. Those guys really get along well. And Drew has been a welcome mix, welcome guy added into the mix. With the stuff that they're doing right now, offensively, defensively, the, the record setting like shit that they're onto efficiency wise, I don't see them switching anything up that drastically just because they found this so recently and they feel like they're still improving. Like the quotes after this win against the Knicks were, that guys still feel like they're nowhere near as good as they could be and that they're still doing a lot of things incorrectly or they're not quite executing as well as they should. That's the scary part to me is that these guys feel like they're playing at like 75% of their potential essentially. And that might be a, a slightly low number, but you see what I'm getting at? Like these guys don't believe like they've hit their own ceiling. And I kind of feel that way as well, because sometimes night to night, there are moments where they're not, um, necessarily on as on point as you would think they could be yeah. even though they're still playing absurdly well yeah i i, I you know i don't watch them night in and night out like you so I, I don't know how how accurate that is uh in terms of where their level of play is on average compared to where they can be uh, i know that that's kind of a cliche that a lot of athletes say these days yeah like we saw especially we, towards the end of the year yeah and like we like we heard the a team like the eagles going back to football kind of say that throughout the year and it seems like they never really reached their their best level of football so to speak so like That's i funny. always i always consider i always consider it's like okay when you keep saying that like maybe that just means that the level of play that you're at is is your level of play but you would know better than i and 
if they do actually have another gear to kick into considering the fact that what are they right now they're 45 and 12 i mean that is that's ridiculous um you know you go over a playoff stretch you need to beat them four times in a seven game stretch just to get past them in a round and these guys have lost only 12 games all year in the first 57 to think that there's another gear that they could kick into i think would be scary it, it fuels the narrative that this is a championship robust team it's a team that i do think is going to win the NBA final right now. I'm not just saying that to jinx your squad, Patrick. I don't see a team out there that that can hang with them. You're making my heart flutter. But <laughs> I'd be lying if I kind of thought, although I guess last year I thought the Nuggets were the best team, but um, I did too. I, I kind of thought that you guys have been right there the, the past couple of years as well. So I don't know, man. The NBA finals, the NBA playoffs will be interesting. I'll certainly be tuning in with a, with a closer eye to the screen now because – you have this love for the Celtics and, and because we've been talking about them so much now as we get into hoops talk. Yeah, I was, you uh, guys, will, I, you guys have to break through with all the talent, man. You have to, you just have to, it's It's going to come at some I, point. I think they at least need another finals appearance. I think it, it really depends on who they play after that. Um, like if they were to play the, the Clippers, if they were play to play against a Kawhi Leonard led team, I would be really nervous. Um, especially with Ty Lue there as head coach. He's an awesome head coach, very experienced, has played in, in the finals before, has coached in the finals several times. Um, they've got James Harden there as well, who played pretty well against us in Philly last year in, in uh, the conference semis. So, yeah, that, that and Denver, I, I'd be a little bit nervous facing them. OKC and Minnesota, I'd be less nervous to face, but the West feels pretty wide open. Um, really, uh, once it gets to that point in the season, a lot of it's just going to be matchup driven, but I do think we should at least get to the finals and then we'll see what happens after that. Yep. There you go. Yeah. I'd be a little bit worried about the nuggets as well, but just because they were there <laughs> last year, but uh, well, they're, I'll, they're, I'll love Jokic, so. their key is just keeping Murray healthy because mm -hmm. remember he had that ACL injury and they're still kind of trying to like, um, well, not ACL injury, but he had an injury that forced him to miss a good chunk of time earlier in the season. The ACL injury was the year before the title. Um, right. So they're just trying to like manage his health right now, because if Jokic needs his guys around him, he can't do it all himself. Part of what makes him so special is that um, like he's able to put his guys in positions to succeed, but having Murray out there opens the spacing for those other guys so much. Yep. I can imagine. You know, you need like a Robin to to the Joker's Batman, kind more of, or less. Yeah, more or less. There, kind of, kind of worked, kind of didn't. I don't know. Okay, if you had to, this is my this is the last question I'll leave you with. It's not basketball related, actually. Oh, um, interesting. We sort of like talked a little bit about this before we we went live. I guess. What's your uh, desired remedy for the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback situation? Um, huh. I'm sure I'm sure our loyal listeners will be happy that we get some Steelers talk in the in the heart of basketball season. Just just give me one, give me like one name. If you had to pick, say one name for a quarterback back that is currently a guy you could bring in, or like say uh, something else, whatever else you'd want to happen. I don't know. Um, okay, so it, so my remedy doesn't necessarily have to be a free agent signing this year. I, yes. I could have a, a plan in place. Yeah. You could to... go with, you could go with something else. Okay. Um, this is going to take some Steelers fans at some surprise. I have, obviously I've done some thinking about this since the season concluded. 
to me, I think that the Steelers have just been toiling in this mediocrity for the past couple of years. And the only way that they can rise to the level that they need to be that can hang with the Burroughs and the Allens, the Mahomes, the Strouds, all, all those teams with elite quarterbacks in the AFC, the only way that they can rise to that level is to get a really, really, really high draft pick and maybe a couple of them and get an elite level talent. Now, I'm not necessarily saying a talent this year or even next year if the class isn't great, but somewhere within the next two to three years, get a top five, top 10 quarterback pick, you know, like they had with Ben Roethlisberger. It's the only way I see them pulling this off because I think if you just trade for anybody out there or sign someone in free agency now, they're just going to be a stopgap or somebody who's going to, you know, keep you in this mire of getting to the playoffs and then just losing in the first round. So I want a young quarterback that can be the face of the franchise for the next 15, 20 years. I don't think Kenny Pickett is it. And the only way I see them being able to do that is that they trade off their major assets on defense. I hate to say it, but I think that they have to trade TJ Watt for potentially multiple first round picks and Whoa! also maybe throw in Minka Fitzpatrick in there as well. And that'll do two things. One, it'll make you just bad and you might naturally be tanking and be bad in the next couple of years to come. And you'll accumulate high draft picks or multiple first round picks by trading those guys away. I think they need to do that. Um, they need to accept tanking and being bad for a couple of years and get a young quarterback and go through things like that. You're talking about trading away the face of the franchise, bro. I am. I am. But I don't think that they're ever going to be able to win with the contract that he's going to have. He's a super talented player, but I just don't think that with him and with other guys like Mick Fitzpatrick, I don't think that they're going to be able to bring in a good enough quarterback or get a high enough draft pick to get a quarterback that can compete with the top dogs in the AFC. It's not really a testament to, I think, that TJ Watt hasn't lived up to a contract or anything like that. It's just that these guys that they got to be on the pedestal with, like Mahomes and Burrow and Allen, are just that damn good. And they got to go get a young guy, in my opinion. Um, and the only way I see them being able to do that is if they are bad and if they they get draft capital. And I think that that has to come at trading TJ Watt. It's sad. It's unfortunate. but And he is the face of the franchise. But I have to admit, he's never won a playoff game. <laughs> You're saying that like he's a quarterback or something. Um, yeah, I, that that's fair. I mean, you don't you don't like a, a defense or a, yeah. an outside linebacker edge rusher is not you don't put sole playoff success on him or not. But what my point is that, you know, having him and having him be as good as they have for the past, what's it, I think since 2016, seven, eight years. I mean, it hasn't, hasn't yielded them any playoff success. So they, they, you know, just having him be good is not a remedy or it's not an end all be all for playoff and, and postseason success. Wow. I didn't Did that shock you. Yeah. I didn't expect you to go to that length on the tank train my goodness man i mean you were i think they have to like <laughs> you were standing on your soapbox for this man when we were arguing about defensive player of the year award candidates oh don't get me wrong i do think he's the best defensive player in football i just don't see the steelers being able to win in the window that he's still going to be good for the next three four years i th and i think that's so that they should trade him away while that his value is his highest to get capital to start building up for the next maybe five years down the road from now when Mahomes maybe takes his first step back, Burrow as well, Allen, et cetera. That's a tempting thought just because you would get a haul from him. But yeah. um, And let I, me say this. If I'm not getting two first round picks back, I don't think I'd do the deal. Like if I'm getting like a first and a second or a first and a third, something like that, I don't think that'd be enough to do it. But if I can, if I can get two first round picks back, and maybe also deal Minka Fitzpatrick as well. I only get three first round picks coming back. I'm probably going to suck. 
for the next year or two, I'm going to have a lot of top end draft capital to not just get a quarterback, but also build on some of the other weaknesses in my team, like the O-line and the D-line. Well, I'll tell you what, man, I don't think that, uh, <laughs> I don't think that an Arthur Smith led offense is going to look much better with Kenny Pickett than it did with Desmond Ritter last year. I think that your teams, I, I, tend to I think, agree. I don't think you're going to need to trade anybody to be bad this coming year, Paul. I think it's uh, just well, going to happen. Dude, we'll, we'll, we'll watch. <laughs> we'll, we'll be nine and eight. We'll be nine and eight. And Tom no, will get I, praised again. I think this, I think this, if Kenny's still there, I think this is the year where it gets bad. Like just well, I, from I Max, think he's, I think from, he's going to stay. So from Mac Jones's early career, like trajectory like it's it fits so i i would just say like watch out but i guess you i guess you kind of want it to a certain extent just be careful what you wish for i don't know what i want man i i just want us to get back to being a team that can really really compete and threaten for championships and even though we've been toiling around and just barely being above 500 and kind of scraping at the bottom of the barrel of the playoffs it's not a legit Super Bowl contender year in and year out. It was for the first, you know, 10 to 15 years of my fandom. And I just want to get back to that point. And I think that the only way to do that or the quickest way to do that right now is to be really, really bad for a couple of years. It happens, man. Tanking is a part of things in these professional franchises. And I, I'd rather them go through that than just be stuck in this mediocrity that they have been in for the last five, six years. Well, Steelers Nation, you heard it from your boy himself. The commish says it's tank season in the Berg. I can't <laughs> wait for our boy Nons to text me and tell me I'm crazy, but bring it on. <laughs> I'm always the outsider in the Steelers chats, but it is what it is. Yeah, I can't picture Nons being very happy though, about no, that. No, he'll, he'll completely disagree with me. He's already <laughs> called me an idiot for this take before. Man. All right. Um, you got any anything else on the lookout for? Anything else you want to bring up hoops-wise, football-wise, whatever? Or are you good? Uh, no, I, I haven't really looked at the the college basketball slate coming up this week, uh, but just keep watching those teams, some of those bubble teams that we've been talking about in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I guess if you are a college basketball fan out there, keep an eye to see how severe that Kyle Filipowski injury is, see how much time, if any, that he misses. I know college sports are always kind of a little bit uh, more secretive, I think, with their, their injury news, and they're not as full disclosures, maybe like NFL and professional teams. So I have no idea the severity of that, but um, keep a close eye out on that. See if anybody else on the ESPN analyst train is talking about banning court stormings. And uh, and yeah, just buckle in, man, because by the next time we talk, it'll probably be March. And it's my favorite month of the year. So I can't wait. We got Auburn, Tennessee on Wednesday night, Big I believe. One. Yep. Big one. Saturday, South Carolina, Florida. Go, Go Cox. Cox. Top uh, 25 matchup. I think that should be. Yep. Kansas Baylor, another top 25 matchup. Marquette oh, Creighton, another top 25 matchup, presumably. Um, and, and Tennessee Bama as well this weekend. So there, there's actually some good games on the slate this week for, for the college hoop side of things. So tune all into them. How about you on the NBA side? Uh, NBA side, I'm game to game, man. It's, it's, I mean, there's Heat Kings like tomorrow night. Right now, there's actually uh, Warriors and Nuggets are playing their late night game, and the Warriors have been pretty decent as of late. They've been um, figuring some stuff out, perhaps. And um, yeah, the Warriors are our team that's maybe, maybe on the rise. Might be a little bit early to say that, but they're eight and two in their last 10, uh, one of the hottest teams in the league currently. So, um, I would not want to be playing them currently. They've they've been figuring some things out for sure. Awesome. Well, good stuff, man. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, it's been a lot of fun talking college basketball and NBA. 
Uh, glad we uh, we know that the listeners have been going up a little bit. Those downloads have been going up. So we really appreciate it here, Patrick and I, pouring a lot of effort into this. And as always, I will close with my final words of God bless. Uh, fifth and Long fans, thanks for tuning in. Find us on the socials, Fifth and Long Pod on Instagram and YouTube, Fifth and Long on Twitter. And we've got some cool stuff coming around for you before next week's episode. Um, just keep your your ears but mostly your eyes open is what i would say um yeah that's that's all that's all sort of hint at for that look for that regard we could have a, a slightly new uh new look or way of doing things next week that's that's all i'll say um my lips paul, are sealed <laughs> your lips are sealed paul my men have a great night catch you on the flip side and same for you fifth and long fit listeners thanks for tuning in we'll see you next week right here on the fifth and long podcast.